Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And thanks for joining me for another Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Thank you all for joining us. And if you haven't done so, make sure to rate and review Spotify or Apple Podcasts, great places to go. And of course, you can always listen to all the episodes of this program, CannabisRadio.com and the CannabisRadio.com app on iTunes and Google Play. My next guest is an attorney with a leading New York government affairs law firm where she assists dozens of clients on New York regulatory compliance issues in heavily regulated industries, including cannabis, gaming, and financial services. Now, the focus in this episode is going to be in the areas of compliance and just uh, certain standards. Now, I can tell you that we've had a lot of interviews based in New York, and we also have another guest that we're going to have on a couple of weeks from now, already recorded it, where we talk about the New York application process and just the legal, just the process right now of getting more licensees to enter the adult use program in New York. But specifically, I wanted to go ahead and definitely talk about compliance. Of course, almost every other, almost every other show we have to talk about compliance. So I'm glad to have our guest on. She's of counsel at Dickinson and Avella. Katie Neer is on with us. Thanks for being on. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here and always happy to talk about compliance in the cannabis industry. I never get to read too much about what's going on in New York in terms of what their levels of compliance. But listen, the uh, Office of Cannabis Management has been very active. The state's been very active on various issues. Uh, always been more, it looks like, when it comes to social equity or when it comes to licensing. But I never hear much about compliance. So I really welcome this conversation. Now, that's your primary focus, regulatory compliance issues for heavily regulated industries, gaming, uh, cannabis gaming and financial services. So first of all, Katie, talk to me about the compliance standards that the Office of Cannabis Management in New York has instituted so far. I mean, what you know of it and how responsive they have been to, you know, making any updates or changes to create good, responsible and accountable compliance. For sure. So the cannabis industry um, is an emerging market, emerging regulated market in New York. The the regulator, Office of Cannabis Management, the Cannabis Control Board are in the process of implementing uh, their licensing framework and the associated regulations that go along with that. And within those regulations are a lot, like hundreds of pages of compliance standards that future licensees who, who are operating in New York will need to be compliant with. And at a high level, it is important to point out that here in New York, we have three different regulated cannabis industries here. We've got the medical cannabis industry, which has been operating for about a decade and has its own regulatory framework and standards. There is the adult use cannabis marketplace. That's what's in motion right now with a lot of news, a lot of headlines, a lot of exciting things happening in that specific space. And then of course we have the hemp industry here in New York and the CCB and the OCM oversee all three of those programs. There are different regulatory structures for each one um, and they are all rather intense and complicated. The other thing too is that really they can't be too much of, I guess, for any kind of sun grown of hemp or cannabis. So mostly has to be controlled through greenhouse and, and really just controlled environments because of the climate that's in New York. And especially with hemp when it's a lot of it's grown up in upstate New York. So with that said, does that make it a little bit easier for compliance to be put into place because everything's controlled it's measured. And it's just a matter of you have the right, you know, enough human, uh, enough bodies in there to go ahead and test, evaluate, go through any areas of bacteria, yeast, mold, uh, going through any tagging, any kind of issues where, it doesn't make it easier because of the fact that climate doesn't allow sun grow. Well, that's a good, that's a good question. So a lot of the hemp, most of the hemp farmers are outdoor grows for sure. And I think the, the hemp is different because it's federally legal versus cannabis grown for the medical program or the adult use program in New York state, which is federally illegal. And right. so the, 
compliance component for your medical cannabis program here in New York and your adult use cannabis program here in New York are far more stringent than that of the hemp program, for example. So in, in the, you know, the THC space here in New York, the medical program mandates indoor grow only. And there are very, very strict testing standards there. And there are uh, limited licenses issued and they, those licensees were mandated as a condition of licensure to be vertically integrated, which is very capital intensive and a vertically integrated license. What that means is you're, you're growing, you're processing, distributing and selling at retail, uh, the cannabis. And so, um, there's 10 operating companies in that space. There's one that's becoming operational now, and uh, the Office of Cannabis Management recently announced they'll open an application window for additional medical uh, licensees at the end of the month on October 31st. Then you have the adult use cannabis market here in New York, which is what everyone is talking about. Right. And so just now we are we are in an open uh, application window for adult use licensing. And today, actually, so I don't know when this will air, but there was a cannabis control board meeting this morning on Tuesday, October 17th, whereby the board approved extending that application window for two more weeks. So right now, folks who want to grow, folks who want to process, distribute, um, or sell cannabis in New York's adult use market, that application window is open. Before this window was opened, however, New York did a conditional adult use rollout. And so they issued uh, cultivation and processing licenses to eligible hemp farmers and processors um, a couple of years ago and mandated that they grow outdoors. So to date, like if you walk into a New York licensed adult use dispensary today, there's a 20, as of today, 25 of them open. If you walked into one, you will be purchasing product from the conditional growers and processors who are also hemp growers and processors. And that product will have been grown outdoors or with limited mixed lights or in greenhouses. And so it's been very challenging for them uh, to grow that product and meet any kind of, you know, existing medical testing standard, for example, uh, which the indoor grown medical operators are held to. And so you've probably seen some of that in the news and heard, heard about some discrepancies in testing standards or the, maybe some questioning of the quality of the product there, uh, which I think is causing a good, good amount of consumer confusion. Now, Let's going delve into the fact of a, there was a recent New York Cannabis Insider investigation about labs breaking rules for reporting pesticides and other contaminants, as well as companies misreporting numbers and selling cannabis as failed tests. Now, before I get into more, we've already seen this issue go on in Colorado recently, where there was a there was a group that actually called out and had so many different dispensary samples showing that was so much there was some contamination or pesticides that was used that were not organic. Same thing also for Nevada. I know that was another issue over there as well. And New York, as you said, they allow outdoor cultivation to encourage environmental sustainability, but some say that rule is what is behind high microbial test failure rates. To ease the burden, New York simply remove mandatory microbial testing. So here's the thing. You mentioned the fact that most cultivation is required indoors, but I didn't know about this part. There might there has been some allowing of outdoor cultivation, which is exactly the culprit of why there's the microbial test failure rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the indoor grow right now is only in the medical program. Eventually, people will get licensed for indoor grows in the adult use program. But today's adult use program here in New York. All of that product is grown outdoors or in greenhouse or or mixed lights. So what what OCM, what the New York regulator did in regards to testing standards here, and you know, that Cannabis Insider article is is very interesting, <clears throat> but it is important to point out and kind of get into the nuance here because what you don't want to do is compare 
apples and oranges, right? We want right. to stick to apples and apples and oranges to oranges. So if you look at other states that allow outdoor grow, they do not have a total yeast and mold testing standard. And so there's just no data, right? So we don't know really what a total yeast and mold factor is high quality or low quality or good or bad or safe or unsafe um, for an outdoor grown product. What we, so what New York did is instead of saying, we're not going to have any total yeast and mold standard, um, they said, look, we're still going to require testing for it. So your outdoor growers right now in the adult use market, they do have to test all their products for a total yeast and mold. Right result. They have to report that result to the regulator. They also have to make that result available to the consumer. And they are responsible in their discretion to make a call on consumer safety and quality at the end of the day. Right. In addition to that, New York does have testing standards when it comes to known elements that are harmful. So things like heavy metals, pesticides, and some microbials like aspergillus, for example, right. it is known that smoking products with certain levels of aspergillus in it is not healthy, is harmful. And so there are testing limits there. So where I think the New York Cannabis Insider article kind of missed the mark just a little bit is right. diving into that nuance, right? So vis-a-vis -vis other states with outdoor grows, um, New York is not an outlier. In fact, they, they kind of did a creative policy solution here where they are gathering information on that total yeast and mold uh, test. And that's going to give them the data that they need to make an evidence-based decision on what a standard should be moving forward. In the meantime, it's important for consumers to read labels, know what they're buying, know what they're consuming, and know what their personal situation is. So uh, the reason you have stricter standards on the medical side, of course, is because you're you're regulating with a presumption that your patients, many of your patients are immunocompromised right. or right. they are um, terminally ill or what have you, right? And so they do need to be consuming a much more strictly regulated product, especially when we're talking about whole flour and smoking as the means to consuming it. Now, would it be too much of an obstacle to have adult use and medical use be parallel in terms of compliance by eliminating outdoor cultivation? So, yeah, many states don't allow outdoor cultivation for this exact reason, right? They want to have a strict testing standard that's uniform across both programs, and it's just a little bit simpler of a way of regulating. In New York, New York is really prioritizing sustainability and environmentally responsible um, uh, business operations. And so uh, they're they're taking this approach, which which also, you know, if you look at New York, agricultural industries and farmers here in New York are a huge, huge backbone of our economic success and existence. And right. uh, many of those farmers got into the hemp industry. A couple of years ago, a few years ago, thinking that it was going to be a really game changing industry. And for a variety of reasons mm -hmm. that hasn't played out and they have have struggled, really, really struggled. And so I think in recognition of the importance of farmers in New York, the amount of small and mid-sized farmers here in New York, the struggles and challenges faced by the hemp farmers, what New York wanted to do was say, hey, let's launch this adult use program by issuing these first cultivation licenses to these hemp farmers. Let's let's see what some outdoor grown cannabis can look like here in New York. Let's see if we can launch a conditional program and get, get consumers starting to kind of convert to those regulated channels while they worked to implement a more comprehensive, robust adult use market, which certainly will include indoor grown product. But that's, I mean, it's complicating matters, the fact that hemp, and adult use and medical use have to be all differently managed control. So the idea of having to put that together and if other, and the thing is without their cultivation, how often can you go, how many cycles of plants can you go through when, you know, weather is not going to be conducive for growth. That's the other problem. I don't get why, why in New York in such an arid climate, I've, I've makes sense for hemp because it does grow better in the kind of climate that New York has, but not 
cannabis, I would imagine, correct? I think it's been challenging, to be honest. And you, I think you really only realistically get one harvest a year yeah. uh, with an outdoor grow. And so you, in addition to the challenges with the weather, the especially unpredictable weather, we had a very, very wet summer right. up where I live, upstate and upstate New York. Um, and then the humidity and it's just, it's very challenging, very, very challenging. So there's going to be a certain amount of microbials that are in that product. And I think New York's doing the best it can with, with the rules that they outlined where it's like, Hey, we still want you to test for the total yeast and mold. We want you to tell us what that is over time. We're going to look at the data and we will evolve our regulatory standards based on what we're on that, what the evidence says. And in the meantime, just bottom line, consumers gotta gotta know what they're purchasing, gotta pay attention. If they are immunocompromised, if they are consuming for more of a wellness or a medical approach, I would encourage them to um get a medical card, you know, and, and get into that medical program where you are gonna get that mm-hmm. arguably higher quality, more highly regulated indoor grown flower. Um, but if you're just a if you don't have any health concerns and you're, you know, a recreational consumer, I don't think you have anything to worry about. You just need to pay attention to the to the product that you're purchasing and read the label. Right. That's one of those things where you would think that if they're going to have it where, I mean, they should have the, the mandatory testing. And on top of that, if they need to see to set up a, a framework on being able to do that, I mean, just look at other states that have it. California, Colorado would be good examples. If they didn't want to just realize what they need to go and do in terms of oh, no, the other part too is that besides the fact they should have the testing, but it's also the fact that it's it's troubling to go and see if that's really the case that there were third party testing labs and companies misreporting numbers and selling cannabis that had failed tests. That is the part yeah. that is just that's troubling that has to get figured out. And I don't know if it's going to be where you, for me, it would be one of those things where you'd have to reconsider if outdoor cultivation is still something that would be good to have because it's obviously it's being concentrated. I don't know if that New York cannabis insider investigation was to focus on the fact that it was outdoor cultivators that did it because that's really what the focus was on, but that's what it looks like for me on this, in this standpoint, we're going to go to commercial break, Katie. And what I want to talk about is because of this investigation, the office of cannabis management actually spoke about this. And we got comments that Chris Alexander actually made about this executive director. We're going to talk about that. And we'll also go into the education that's being provided by the state in terms of compliance, training, and mentorship. And here with Katie Neer of Council at Dickinson and Avella here on Blunt Business and website, if you want to take a look at what they're doing and uh, get behind the work, website is DickinsonAvella.com, D-I-K-I-N-S-O-N-A-V-E-L-L-A.com. Take a look at the website as we go to break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm here with Katie Neer of Council at Dickinson and Avila. So I want to take a report from WXXI, the NPR station in New York State, at Rochester-based uh, New York State Public Radio. They spoke with Chris Alexander, the executive director of the New York Office of Cannabis Management. They asked Chris about the report we just talked about before the break, that New York Cannabis Insider investigative reporters showed that there was a number of toxins and harmful materials and the cannabis, cannabis was being sold. And what was asked of him was, should people who buy cannabis at the retail stores that are open now, should they be worried about that? Because it does seem a little concerning. That's what the reporter said. And he responded, Chris Alexander, quote, yeah, the report I believe you're referencing was one full of inaccuracies. We do have some of the most stringent product testing going on here in New York than anywhere else in the country. We do test every single lot of cannabis products for heavy heavy metals for appropriate inappropriate pesticides. The nuanced issue that I think folks have talked about is total yeast and mold content, which in New York is not a pass-fail, but it's something that is fully disclosed to a consumer. The reason we have a higher 
total yeast and mold content in our products is because we had, were the first state to have an entirely sustainable outdoor crop. And outdoor cannabis has more mold than indoor cannabis. That being said, because those standards did not exist, we tracked, we measured, and now we will update standards to reflect where that product has come out. But there's a lot of this stuff that we're doing. So he makes that explanation. What do you think? And you made a lot of the points that he just made right there. What do you think about what the response was and what the what the OCM is going to be going to do for going forward to handle this whole outdoor cultivation issue? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I think they're going to stick with outdoor grow. To be honest, just because it is sort of the backbone or the launching pad, if you will, of the of the New York adult use market. And those outdoor growers right now who are licensed do have an opportunity with the regulations that have been recently adopted and with the application window that's open right now to apply for a full license, um, which can give them some canopy cap for mixed light uh, grows, greenhouse grows, things like that. So they don't have to have their entire cultivation production coming from outdoor grows, right? So that they can go through this transition application process and uh, continue to operate in this market with a little bit of outdoor grow and a little bit of indoor and a little bit of greenhouse and sort of diversify the way that they're cultivating. And that will do a lot for the the quality, if you will, of the flower here in New York. Um, And outdoor grown product is really good for distillate and to be used in oils and vapes and edibles and tinctures and topicals, you know, and all the other ways that consumers consume. So I think the outdoor growers will continue to have a viable economic opportunity and role in New York and in this New York adult use market. I think what the executive director is saying there is, uh, look, first of all, we do have testing standards in the adult use program. That is true. Those standards are consistent with other states, if not stricter on certain elements. And he's calling out that nuance that I was talking about on the total yeast and mold, which which is a unique thing that New York's doing. So just instead of having a pass fail on total yeast and mold or not testing for it at all, they are requiring the outdoor growers to test for it. They're collecting that data. And I expect that we'll see a standard implemented in the future based on whatever the evidence is that they're getting. And I think while we're in the in-between time, you know, while they're gathering the data in order to inform a decision, it's causing some confusion. Uh, The, I think what the executive director is probably criticizing in the article or the, or the report is that it often is comparing New York's standard to other state standards that are medical standards. And so, you know, as we discussed, it's, it makes sense from a policy perspective for there to be different standards from medical to adult use, especially if your adult use is hundred percent grown outdoors right now. Uh, but as some of that moves indoors, I do think it's, it's completely possible and reasonable for there to be one standard uniform standard for indoor grown product, regardless of if you're, you know, if that plant is funneling into a medical or an adult use supply chain, versus a standard for outdoor grown uh, cannabis, regardless of what program it's funneling into. So I'm going to take a moment to go and get my bully pulpit. And of course, when I bring this up, listeners to this program, you already know where I'm going with this. I'm a broken record when it comes to this, but I'm always going to keep referencing. It hasn't happened in New York state and we haven't had any particular issues where penalties and real damage has been done to a cannabis company that has, you know, put out, illegally cultivated cannabis. But I will always use the example of Canada. October 14, 2019, CanTrust. Okay, when they had to go and destroy $12 million worth of plants, $65 million worth of inventory because they were illegally growing cannabis and after regulatory investigations, results were all put in and there were suspensions so much. The company rechanged its name and you know, not too long ago, I was renamed the different name of the company, FINA, and then they had to wind down business because of high taxes. So they're gone, completely mm-hmm. non-existent. And that's because of compliance. And 
you know, I don't know how much of a difference the Canadian compliance standards are there in Health Canada and what they expect. But this is where every company needs to be proactive about their compliance standards, regardless of what the Office of Cannabis Management says. It's a matter of being above and beyond the call of duty that the testing labs that you go to to check for all these things. If you're not testing for yeast mold and you're down there, you have to. Even if the mandatory standards are waived, doesn't change anything. Do it anyway. For the sake of the industry, for the sake of all growers out there, and for the sake of the these companies out here, we don't want to have stories like this in the U.S. where we see a can trust come down here, and it's the same thing here. That's one of those things that I always want this industry to be aware of, and that's why on this program, when we talk about cannabis, I'm always going to bring up that example. So, Katie, let me thank you for letting me go ahead and say that. Yeah, I now, agree. Plus one to that. You know? <laughs> and I'll tell you, was when I was going through and doing research for the interview, I can't help but near cannabis Institute. I'm going to cite them again. You're welcome. <laughs> but they're the ones that are actually doing quite a bit when it talks about compliance. Like you said, so many other, you know, bright, shiny headlines from all the other sources out there, but they're not talking about compliance. This, this site is, so they bring up the fact about how New York launched its cannabis compliance training and mentorship program earlier this year. Participants are able to learn about compliance, business fundamentals, growing techniques, and more. And many in the industry were hopeful it would provide Legacy operators, a pathway to running a licensed cannabis business. A few months after the first of the students, I guess you could say, completed the 10-week curriculum, participants felt it was a mixed bag. They taught students important elements of running a compliant cannabis business in New York. But some graduates say that the lack of clarity around whether completing the program will make them any more likely to get a license puts its value into question. So what do you think about this program and what's been so, so far in the in terms of applying proper compliance standards? Yes. So I think what that workforce development program was, it was uh, essentially a mentorship program that was designed with the goal of matching legacy operators with these conditionally licensed growers and processors. And that's a, that's a social equity program. program, if you will, that's being facilitated right. by OCM. And the the goal, the high level goal or reasoning behind that was that the MRTA, the, the cannabis law here in New York, prioritizes in a huge way um, trying to create space in the regulated and uh, regulated industry for business opportunities for people who have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs and legacy operators. But it's a hard thing to legislate and regulate in writing, um, prioritizing uh, issuing, a li- issuing a license to someone who's doing this activity, but in the unregulated space right now, right? Because that puts that person or that uh, those people in a, in a position whereby they need to like raise their hand and come out and admit that they are currently doing something that is federally illegal, right? And so the way New York OCM was trying to thread a needle there was to create this mentorship program, this workforce development program, and say to the conditional licensees, all of whom were eligible, compliant, licensed hemp farmers, right, but not necessarily legacy uh, cannabis growers, hey, you need to be matched with some social equity potential licensees or applicants, future applicants, right? And they're going to go through an incubator of sorts. And I think the participants who were from the legacy industry on that end were really hopeful that that was going to be a pathway to licensure. Um, and it it's a component, right? It's a, it's a potential pathway to licensure, but there's still all these other steps that those folks are going to need to take. And for example, they need to apply in the open application right now. And if they are eligible to be social and economic equity qualified applicants, there's an additional process they need to go through to get that qualification and then reap those benefits throughout the licensing process. And those benefits are, you know, a 50% reduction in licensing fees um, being put into a special prioritized or separate queue that will ultimately be part of this lottery to issue awards. Um, All great things that will create that space and that opportunity 
to bring legacy into the regulated channels, but I don't think it was as streamlined or as clear cut as some of the participants wanted it to be. And I think we got to give grace to OCM and CCB on that one. Like they're, they're doing what they can on that front, getting creative, coming up with different things to try to do this differently than other states who, who have really struggled, really struggled to find ways to convert those legacy operators into those regulated channels. And so I think that's something we we can expect to see more from out of, uh, out of OCM in, in New York as this rollout continues. Well, social equity has been obviously the forefront of what they always have to keep mentioning. It. Governor Hochul always has to make a mention of social equity and the importance of it in this, the adult use program that's been put in place and the rolling out this year. And we've talked to a number of social justice companies. So we talked to the Justice Foundation. We talked to yeah. uh, Carrie Edwards, who's with Air Wellness, that has put mm-hmm. in the uh, change for good. Uh, the their corporate social responsibility program, uh, doing a force for good. Um, and you know, we've also talked about stories where black-owned cannabis companies in New York were struggling to find banking and other ongoing social equity licensing issues involving legacy operators. We've done a lot of. We've done a lot of commentary on that, a lot of interviews with folks on here about that. But for the legacy operators out there, I mean, it's the under the disenfranchised part of this social equity. Obviously, there are those that are getting social equity licenses, these CAURDs, conditional adult use, uh, retail use dispensary licenses, and only so many have been opened up so far. Obviously, you're going to have more licenses. You brought that up earlier. There are two more windows that are coming up right now. But legacy operators, and the way that legacy operators could help in terms of taking more people out of the illicit market and getting them into this workforce development program like this, is it doing the is it doing the right thing for legacy operators? Is it effective? And do you think that this pipeline actually would help to get them towards getting a license? Because they're still getting left out. They are. Uh it's a really good question. I don't know that we, I don't know that I can answer that yet. I don't know that New York can answer that yet. Right. right. So I think it is a very clear priority of uh, Governor Hochul's administration and of the Cannabis Control Board and OCM to prioritize social and economic equity in their licensing. And this is just the beginning of that. So the, the conditional right. rollout of the adult on the adult youth side was sort of phase one or step one of that. And um, there's been some success there. There's also been some challenges there. Now they're opening, uh, you know, comprehensive broad licensing for a lot of different license types. And it's the first time that the bigger pool of social equity qualified applicants can go get their, uh, can go get that qualification, that C qualification is what it's being called, and then reap the benefit of that qualification in the general licensing process. Um, and we'll see, right? I think it's it's going to be exciting come January when OCM starts to award licenses to just see right. what the numbers are, see what the stats are, and see who the people are and what their stories are. You know, w- was this a successful effort in trying to convert legacy to legal? And if not, how can the state adjust or make changes in the next application round to try to do better? But it is, that's a critical component and will be a critical component to New York's success in this adult use regulated market, because it's a huge unregulated industry here in New York. We all know that. And I really, I say this all the time, I think that the regulator should be sitting there and thinking through how do we convert consumers? So how do we convert whatever percentage of the 20 million people in New York who are cannabis consumers from the existing legacy channels into the the emerging regulated channels? And if they were regulating and policymaking based on the consumer experience, I think it would be a lot more streamlined from a compliance standpoint, right? It'd be a lot simpler, a lot easier, a lot lower barriers to entry for licensees into the market, which means you can have more licensees, more more operators, means your pricing can be stabilized and come down, um, and you can meet consumers where they are at. Right, right, right now, you know, consumers in the legacy channel they they do delivery, 
they're used to to good standard pricing. They're used to good quality product, right? Like, and we can have a whole conversation about where that product is coming right. from, but it's a sophisticated marketplace. And in order for the regulated channel to be successful, both consumers and operators need to convert to those regulated channels. And that that takes time. We've seen it take in you know years um, yeah. in other states. So that's going to be a big hurdle in New York. And and I do want to say separate like separate and distinct from when I say legacy, yes. there's the illicit pop-ups, right? So the, oh, yeah. though that is a completely different problem uh, in New York and that's detrimental mm-hmm. to that existing legacy market. It's also a huge challenge and problem for the emerging regulated industry here in New York. You know, I actually had another attorney that I actually spoke with, uh, Jason Little with Farrell Fritz. And mm-hmm. we talked about the fact that, you know, while things were going on with the illicit market and the issues behind it, I'm going to go ahead and make the point here uh, that I made in that interview is that there have been a lot of cracking down of cannabis right now by New York State to try to go ahead and stop the illicit market. And Governor Hochul actually recently spoke about the changes that are going to be made in terms of what is going up going forward for the cannabis market in New York State that they have been able to go and seize $42 million worth of illicit product as of uh, this last report I got. So 8,500 pounds of cannabis, street value more than $42 million after 246 uh, inspections. But again, we're talking about more than 1,000 shops that have been opening up on a regular basis. They keep popping up everywhere. They can be charged $10,000, $20,000 a day for how many times they're being fined, but the, the fine should be bigger. It's all those things that are being taken into account. It's not as if the state's not making the attempt, but it's one of those things where to curb the illicit market, I made the point also in that interview that you know, the that's where you need to legacy operators to come in and be allowed, number one, to be able to be a part of the market because they're going to be able to sustain business. I mean, they did it under illegal you know, parameters, and they were able to go ahead and you know make a living off of it and be able to go ahead and if they have anybody that was working with them, they were able to go ahead and take care of them as well. Get, imagine what they get an actual structure they can use. Now- mm-hmm. One of the other areas that was talked about when I talked with the folks, um, I talked to a, a, an owner in the D.C. market, District of Columbia. Obviously, different parameters. I-71 is in place. So everything is, be, you got to do it as a gift if you want to buy it. And there's only so much to be allowed. It's a very complicated mess down there, but I don't know how they do it. But they also look at what so, social equity is being done right now. With, on In D.C., it's all legacy operators for the most part. But in other states, social equity funding there's only so much out there probably from the initial get-go for someone that's going to be applying for a social equity license on caurd and getting that under the social equity construct will they have the funding to sustain and will they be able to be able to compete to keep their business long enough and i always wondered about that what happens if certain people get social equity licenses they don't have the funding to keep things going and they have to shut down what happens to those caurds Uh, That's a good question. So a few things. One is just, you know, I want to acknowledge to your point that the access to capital challenge in this industry is overwhelming, right? And it's, it's immense, regardless if you if you're, you know, a bigger multi-state operator, or you're a small independent operator, or a social equity licensee, um, access to capital is is a huge challenge. And in New York, the New York law does a couple of things to try to solve for that problem. One is that there are supposed to be state administered uh, grant programs or low interest loan programs to social Mm -hmm. equity applicants. And there's sort of two different ways that can happen. One is through the Cannabis Revenue Fund, which is where everyone's license fees go. And the medical operators here in New York will pay a massive licensing fee if they want to transition into adult use. And that fee is so massive because the law states that it shall be adequate to fund uh, social equity programs, essentially. And so that that licensing fee from those vertically integrated operators will be a huge source of funding for that component and of that the law. And that fee is $20 million. <clears throat> I saw correct. that was the tag. I was like, yeah. wow. But I'm glad you explained that to me because I didn't realize... So this is actually to go ahead and kick back towards social equity programs. That's, That's correct. I didn't yeah. know that. 
But it's like, when I looked at the numbers, like, okay, if you're an MSO, you're coming into space. That's a big price tag to come in on top of everything else, a special licensing fee, if you will. But now, you know, I didn't know because I didn't see anything in any of the reports I saw when I saw that story, they didn't explain it was for social equity. It is. Yep. So that fee will be, will be used by the state to administer a lot of the social equity programming, maybe some of those low interest, zero interest loans or grants to social equity applicants. Uh, maybe it'll fund the incubator programs, the technical assistant programs, all kinds of things that the, the law mandates this regulator implement. Uh, the yeah. other, the other kind of solution to the access to capital issue that New York is doing, which you mentioned is for the card applicants. So the, those conditional adult use retail dispensary licensees, those are retail licensees that are justice involved. To be eligible, you needed to have a cannabis conviction here in New York. And you also needed to show that you ran, um, that you owned a profitable business for at least two years, which um which was controversial, but that, but those are the eligibility factors. And so those, those licensees are supposed to have access to a $200 million social equity fund that was set up, you know, after the MRTA, right? So after, after the cannabis law here was enacted and that fund has struggled to raise the $200 million. So it gets $50 million from the state, the other $150 million are supposed to be raised by private investors or just non-governmental sources. And that took some time and it was challenging, but the state did it. And they locked out a partner um, in Chicago Atlantic who yeah. is lending to that fund. And then that fund in turn should be investing into cards and helping them with things like finding locations, doing the build out and construction of those sites. Um but there are challenges, right? So that that fund can't be used for operating money, for example. It's yeah. only capital expenditures, and of course, there's there is an injunction in place right now in New York on that card program. So there's 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 a process for cards to continue to move through the system and get open, but it's a little bit slower than it otherwise would be. I hope the bureaucracy that runs the Cannabis Control Board Office against cannabis management in New York State, I hope they're listening to this part of this conversation that we're getting the point about a little more transparency on what the social equity program, a little more transparency about the fact that if there is all this funding, where is it coming from? And, you know, how can those be having uh, being able to get more access to it, especially with all these licenses that are going to be doling out now the next couple of months before the end of the year? Let's see a little more transparency about that going forward and what the, the more available to the capital. That would be a great thing they're going to see out there more of that. I'd love to see that the, the state government would actually put out there in place. We're going to go to one more commercial break, wrap things up here with Katie Neer of Council at Dickinson and Avila. We'll be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. I'm back with final questions with Katie Neer of Council at Dickinson and Avila. And the website is DickinsonAvila.com. A D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N-A-V-E-L-L-A.com. So Leafly, everybody knows the website, and Stage 1 Dispensary and Rensselaer, oh boy, I can't say that right, Rensselaer, New York, there we go. Uh, and an individual consumer jointly filed recently a legal challenge to certain portions of the recently adopted adult use regulations in New York. The lawsuit alleges that the OCM has unfairly targeted so-called third-party platforms and a misguided attempt to restrict the manager and the manner in which retailers may market or promote their business or products and prevent price shopping consumer behaviors. Leafly believes in the lawsuit alleges that the adoption of the regulations by the state are both arbitrary and capricious and a violation of U.S. and New York constitutions. So I, I know you're not involved at all in this case, Katie, but from a larger, you know, 20,000 foot over the top perspective, what can you tell me about this challenge and this issuing of third-party platforms and the targeting of those? Yeah, so the it, the nerdy part of me loves loves this issue, loves to talk about this issue. As background, I used to be the the general counsel for a cannabis tech startup called Lantern, which mm -hmm. existed to facilitate the home delivery of cannabis. And unfortunately, we never 
we never launched in New York. We never got going in New York. Um, we dissolved and liquidated due to a variety of factors. But one of those factors was New York's regulatory treatment of third-party tech uh, platforms. So I know firsthand, you know, how challenging the regs that New York adopted are going to be for these tech companies. And I'm not at all surprised to see Leafly bring, um, and, you know, and others bring litigation to challenge them. Um, and I know from, from that experience that, you know, New York, you know, their, their policy position is that they really want to create an independent retail tier here in New York that is, is shielded and protected, if you will, from undue influence, whether that's from licensees in the supply side or ancillary players. And I think the worldview of New York's regulator is that those tech companies can become um, controlling ancillary partners to a retailer. So for example, you know, if a if a third party platform amasses so many consumers and so many uh, eyeballs, if you will, that they are therefore effectively dictating to a retailer what products to carry, what product forms to carry, or driving down their prices, um, then they are effectively availing themselves of that license. And that's, I think, that's the regulator's worldview. I think it's. It's not one that I agree with, uh, obviously, and you know I had many conversations with them about that. But I do understand their policy position. It's mm-hmm. going to be very interesting to see how the Leafly litigation shakes out because, arguably, it's ex- it's challenging for a cannabis company to reach consumers because of that federal illegality. They cannot, you know, just uh, use normal kind of platforms or advertising channels that an unregulated or more mainstream um, retail business can do, right? So they have really, they have their hands tied behind their backs as it is trying to get consumers. And now New York, they will have a very antiquated existence whereby they are relying basically on foot traffic. And that might work in, you know, New York City and the five boroughs where you have a ton of foot traffic and kind of people walking around and stuff. But, you know, in upstate New York or the North Country, you need to communicate to your consumers and you and you want to educate them. And many cannabis retailers in other markets do that by utilizing these third party platforms like Leafly, like Weed Maps, like Dutchie or Jane or Lantern or, you know, the, the former Lanterns of the world. And I think that those companies play an important role in destigmatizing the plant, educating consumers, um, converting consumers, as we talked about, from unregulated to regulated channels. And I think they're an important toolkit for retailers to use. And I think that uh, licensees and business owners should be able to make their own business decisions on if they need to utilize those services to you know, expand their pie of consumers, then they should be able to to talk to those companies and negotiate deals and go ahead and do that. And in New York, unfortunately, that won't be that won't be the case, at least initially, pending this this litigation that Leafly has undertaken. Earlier in March of this year, Muse by Cleo put out a great story about how legal issues cloud cannabis advertising. And I want to just quote one thing they made mention of in that article. Uh, opportunities for cannabis advertising continue to expand. More states legalize adult use and permit dispensaries to open. And social media platforms have been changing your ad policies. Uh, X or formerly Twitter have done that as well. Mm-hmm. Compliance with these many layers of rules and regulations is not an easy task. Yet it is vitally important for companies that aim to reach new consumers or customers. And it's one of those things where so much that's going on. I mean, we can't have more things that keep more roadblocks in the way. So I'm glad that Leafly is taking that affront. And going to court about it, as they should. Yep, it's absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the barriers to entry need to be lowered for consumers and for licensees, for operators. That's the name of the game. That's I think the key to success. You know, trying to regulate this industry gets really complicated. There's a ton right. of different issues, but I think it's important to kind of zoom out, step back, and say what's the goal. And to me, the goal at the end of the day is to get the operators and consumers of unregulated channels into regulated channels, right. destigmatize, 
educate, collect that tax revenue and uh, create new economic opportunities here in New York. Really great conversation, Katie. I really appreciate you taking time out. This is a part of the area that we don't get to talk about much when it comes to for New York state. I mean, we talk about everything else, like I said, all those other headlines, but compliance and these kind of standards. Yeah, this is good. So much ground we covered. I really appreciate doing that. So I'm going to direct people to the website one more time, DickinsonAvela.com. And for those that go to the website to go and check that out, uh, if they want to go ahead and connect with your team or with you in terms of services, what you provide and what you can do for those in the state of New York or uh, where the firm uh, you know, supports or, and actually represents what states they represent in, what can you tell us about what they can do to get more help from you t- from your team? For sure. So what Dickinson Novella and our team does is we help people, we help companies, clients navigate New York state government. So whether that's these regulatory and compliance issues or licensing issues with, um, you know, the cannabis industry or the gaming industry or the liquor, you know, industry, um, or it's helping clients navigate the legislative process here in New York. So advocacy for or against pieces of legislation and bills. That is what we do. That's our bread and butter. Um, and folks can check out our website and shoot me an email. It My email is knear and as in Nancy, E-E-R, at DickinsonAvella.com. So again, I'm here with Katie Near of Council at Dickinson Avella. Katie, really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Thank you for your time and thank you for all your experience and all your knowledge on this. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. And thank you, listeners, for listening in. I hope you get a lot from this take here and uh, we'd love to get hear feedback from you. We'll talk to you next time. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.